invite you to turn in God's holy word to Job chapter 38. After submitting the bolt information, I decided to go in a different way here, choosing out a scripture to read in connection with Lord's Day 9 of the Heidelberg Catechism as it unpacks those words, those first words of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth. Now, the book of Job, if you're familiar with it, you know that in the beginning, Satan comes before God, and God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, a righteous and upright man? And Satan says, he only serves you because of what you give him. He only serves you because you pay him well. God was saying to Satan, look at the work I'm doing on the earth. You may have brought destruction by tempting Adam and Eve, but I'm about restoring humanity and making a people for myself who love me. And Satan says, no, it's a fraud. They only serve you because you pay them well. And God says, very well, take it all away. And one day, everything is taken from Job. Ten children die, flocks are destroyed, raiders come in and carry off, fire comes down from heaven, storm blows through and drops the house on his children, and it's all gone. Still, he blesses God. And Satan says, oh, but if you touch his body, God says, very well. And so Satan strikes him with boils from the top of his head to the sole of his foot. And then there's this long portion of the book where Job's three friends come, and they begin to say to him, look at Job, you must have done something wrong because all these things have happened to you. And Job maintains his righteousness, that he's walked with the Lord in faithfulness. And in the course of it, Job actually begins to to question God and to accuse God of being unfair and, and God of being unjust and finally to cry out that he wants a hearing with God. And now he gets it. Now he gets it, beginning at chapter 38. It goes through near the end of the book, but we'll read just this chapter, a part of it. Job 38, God's holy word. Then... The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes on form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and the upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. 
where is the way to the dwelling of light? And darkness, where is its place, that you may take it to its territory, that you may know the path to its home? Do you know it because you were born then or because the number of your days is great? Have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? By what way is light diffused or the east wind scattered over the earth? Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on a land where there is no one, a wilderness in which there is no man, to satisfy the desolate waste and cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven who gives it birth? The waters harden like stone, and the surface of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades, or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Maseroth in its season, or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds and an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send out lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the mind or who has given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can pour out the bottles of heaven when the dust hardens in clumps and the clods cling together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion? Or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lurk in their lairs to lie in wait? Who provides food for the raven when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? Chapter marking ends there, but the questions go on and on and on. We end the reading of God's word there. I invite you to take out the Forms and Prayers book. And in doing that, to turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, one of our Three confessions or summaries of God's word. We're on page 210 in the Forms and Prayers book. Page 210. And as we noted before, the Apostles' Creed has long been used as a teaching tool in the Church of Jesus Christ. And now the Catechism is unpacking the meaning of each phrase or article of the Creed. And we're at Lord's Day 9. And so it's asked in question 6, what do you believe? When you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son, I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he's almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. A beautiful confession of the church. Let's bow in prayer before our God and ask for his blessing. 
O God in heaven who gives faith and grants a people to believe and to confess with the mouth, stoop down from heaven, Lord, to strengthen us tonight in the true confession and to show us who you are, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Congregation of our Lord Christ, if you were to tell someone about your God for the first time ever, somebody who, who knew nothing, who knows nothing about God, if you were to begin to tell them about God, where would you begin? Well, you know the answer. You'd begin with creation. That's where the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the foundation point, isn't it? For understanding everything that follows in the Bible. And yet, this most basic reality, knowing God as the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth, is denied by a multitude of scientists, philosophers, university professors, many school teachers. And people are led to live their lives as if there is no creator, no God, and therefore no purpose, no help, no meaning. As one writer puts it, everyone will admit that it makes a big difference whether we are created by God or happen to be here as a result of a chemical accident. If we happen to be here, we had better try to keep ourselves pleasantly occupied. We should not ask many questions, for there cannot be answers. And some day or some night we will happen to die. How different for the people of God. We know we are made by the eternal God, by the personal God, by the tri-personal God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We know this. We're created by our God who made us in his image, who made us for himself, who made us for his glory, who made us for his fellowship. He's our maker, our defender, our friend. This is God. And this therefore becomes the the point to which God's people often return in scripture. To mention just a few, think of King Hezekiah as as he received the threats of the Assyrians and King Sennacherib. And they threatened they were going to destroy Jerusalem like they did everyone else if he didn't open the doors. And Hezekiah came before the Lord with that letter of threats, and he laid it out before God, and and Hezekiah prayed, and he said, O Lord, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. And years later, after God's people did get taken into captivity, not under the Assyrians, but the Babylonians, the southern kingdom of Judah, and came back, Nehemiah stood to confess the sins of God's people. And he prayed, you alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. Or you think of the Psalms. I was struck this week and, and looking through the various Psalms. Certain ones are marked out in our minds as creation Psalms. But I notice that actually in a multitude of psalms, there'll be a verse or two snuck in there, as it were, about God and his creative work. But in the psalms, there are many confessions of faith, right? Psalm 124, our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. 
Psalm 121, I lifted my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The whole Bible is filled with praise to God, the creator, the almighty creator of heaven and earth. And without knowing God as creator, we can't know God. And without knowing God as creator, we can't know ourselves. The beginning point for knowing God and for knowing who we are is to confess God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth. Many cannot see this. Well, actually, Romans 1 says they see it, all creation cries out in testimony, but they suppress the truth. They deny the truth. But in complete contrast to that stands the church of Jesus Christ. Far from denying it, wants to confess it, shout it aloud, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. What a wonderful confession God has put into our hearts by his Spirit. Tonight, I'd like you to notice that in making that confession, we're glad to acknowledge three things. Number one, that we have been humbled before his majesty. We have been humbled before his majesty. Secondly, that we have been exalted through his beloved son. We have been exalted through his beloved son. And thirdly, that we are secure. We are secure in his everlasting arms. Well, first of all, we're humbled before his majesty, aren't we? It's easy to rattle off Genesis 1, verse 1. Even many children know the verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But it's hard to live in terms of that reality that he is the creator, utterly distinguished from his creation, and we are the little creatures. And so God is frequently in the Bible, he's distinguishing himself, and he's keeping telling us there's this gap. He's the transcendent, almighty, awesome God, and we are dust that God formed into man and breathed life into. Prone, we are prone to downplay God's greatness. Evolution, of course, wants to just erase any idea of God. And pantheism wants to say, God is in you, you are in God, everything's God. Both of those would erase any distinctions, right? But even as believers, don't we often pull God down to our level and we deal with God as if he's just one of us. He's just one of us. He's our equal. That's what Job was doing. Job is a godly man. Job, at the beginning of his trial, remember he, when he lost everything? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Didn't charge God with any wrongdoing. But as the trial wore on, right, as his friends attacked him, he began to complain, began to protest, began to emphasize his own righteousness, began to question God's fairness, and then he began to charge God with being unjust. You're not playing by the rules, God. The covenant is that if you walk in righteousness, you get blessing, and I should be having blessing, not all this pain and misery. And so he sat in judgment against God. And wanted God to answer his accusations and his questions. He, he wanted to bring God, Most High, into the court where he could prove his case. Job was hurting. And God at last appeared. But he didn't come, did he, simply to wrap his arm around Job and say, I know you're hurting, you've been through a lot. But he came to Job in a storm, a whirlwind. And the Lord says to him, 
Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Wasn't what Job expected. Job said, God, you come down here and I will question you. And God showed up and said, Job, put on your wrestling uniform. We're going to go toe-to-toe, head-to-head. But I'm going to do the questioning. It wasn't what Job expected. He'd forgotten who God was. We do that too. We, we think of God according to our own vain imagination. We trim God down to size. We, 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 we cut God into something that we can handle. We, we domesticate the mighty line and make him a little kitten. And God roars and says, I am God. I am God Almighty. When we meet the living God, things are different. God says to Job, you answer me. And the Lord takes Job on a tour of the universe, doesn't he? He shows Job, points to all these these heavenly things, these earthly things, these these various creatures and animals upon the earth, weather patterns and hail and snow and, and, and the judgments God brings upon men, all these things. And he asks Job, what do you know about all this? Almighty talker who knows all things, who wants to call the almighty God into your courtroom and question him, what do you know? Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. And God says, I remember the morning stars were there. I remember the, the angel choir was singing for joy as I, as I laid the foundations of the earth. But Job, I don't remember you being there. Job, do you have exhaustive knowledge of the ostrich? Job, you tell me all about the hippopotamus. Hippopotamus, you, you tell me about hail and snow and where I store them up. Some 80 questions God brings for Job to answer. And what's remarkable is that this is the first time God's spoken in the book of Job to Job. Now, the reader, of course, we, we get to know in the early chapters that, that God has been dealing with Satan. And we get to look behind the scenes, as it were, and know that, that God is in, engaged here in a dispute with Satan. And God wants to hold up tro- trophies of his grace. He wants to hold up Job and say, look, Satan, what I am doing, you are finished. I'm going to restore this world that you tore apart. I'm going to have a people for myself. But Job doesn't know that. All Job knows is that he got everything ripped away from him. His body is covered in sores. His life is misery. His friends are accusing him of having done something wicked that he needs to confess. And now after 37 chapters, God shows up. And he brings all these questions. And we might say, what do these questions have to do with anything? What do they have to do with with Job's question? God, why have you done this? How is this just? How is this fair? God doesn't deal directly with Job's question, does he? And yet God goes to the most basic thing in all of the world to show Job that Job is not God. But God is God. And Job, if you don't know all of these things, and if you can't answer these questions, then surely you're not the creator, you're not the owner of the universe, and therefore you are not God. 
Brothers and sisters, when we confess that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, we, we're humbled before the majesty of God. We're saying that, that there is another, a different being, an eternal one, who's always been and who spoke this world into existence, that we didn't bring about ourselves, that we didn't create our own lives, that we don't draw breath from ourselves, but we, we are his creatures, that he in glorious power stretched out the heavens. And what a day we live in, right, with all these telescopes and spaceships and all these things to, to now learn that this, we're just beginning to learn, aren't we, that this universe is, is expansive beyond our wildest imagination. That we live in one little solar system on one little piece of the Milky Way galaxy, which is just one galaxy in the midst of millions, then they said billions of galaxies, now what are they saying, trillions of galaxies? with millions and trillions of stars, each of them? Who could comprehend it? And God spoke it into being and knows all stars by name. And God in his wisdom has so orchestrated it all, right, that he, he sends the earth spinning and then, he, and then he spins the moon and causes it to rotate around the earth and then he makes the earth and the moon rotate around the sun and all these spinning balls and no collisions all held in the hand of the almighty maker. That God, through the word, his son, his wisdom, spoke it. And by his spirit, he formed it. And all of it out of nothing. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. God, God didn't make out of some substance that, that was already here, that's eternally here. I mean, what would the world say? What will evolution say? Where did it come from? Where did matter come from? Where did anything come from? Well, it must have been eternal. Well, no. There was Nothing. Everything we make is not really a making of anything. It's just a reforming, a repackaging, a <clears throat> developing a, of what God has made. But God makes out of nothing. And he makes not as one who's compelled to. It's not that God needs something out of himself. He, he needs us. He needs our fellowship. He needs our service. No. There was nothing in God that required him. There was, there was no need, there was no deficiency, but of his own will he chose to bring forth and so to magnify his glory. And we sometimes try to pull him down and say, you're just like us and you're going to answer me, God. And God says to us, who, who do you think I am? Who do you think you are? I'm God Almighty. And as God questions Job, then at last, at the beginning of chapter 40, Job goes silent, doesn't he? Job chapter 40, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Job 40, verse 3, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer yet. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Job has so much to say in God's silence, but now when he meets the living God and is questioned by God, he says, I will be quiet. I will lay my hand over my mouth. You are God, and I'm just a creature. And so as we confess tonight, God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, it requires of us a posture of humility, doesn't it? But secondly, to make this confession, we're acknowledging not just that we're humbled before God's majesty, but that we're exalted through his beloved son. And that's, 
That's the next thing I'd have you see. The questioning actually continues. After Job lays his hand over his mouth, the questioning goes on. And it goes on. And God says in verse 6, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Is that what you would do, Job? You'd condemn me to justify yourself? That was the path of Adam. The woman you gave me. You gave me. She gave me the fruit. So it is that little puny man upon the earth tries to indict the living God. Remember somebody said that atheism has two tenets. I like that quote. Atheism has two tenets. Number one, there is no God. Number two, I hate him. He's wicked. I thought you said there's no God. Why are you so angry? Ah. You see, God is altogether righteous. And what hope is there for us who've dared to defy God? If I am not accepted by God, what what hope of escape is there for me? If I stand in opposition to God, if I'm under God's condemnation or wrath, how can I escape his wrath? Those are terrifying pictures in the book of Revelation, aren't they? When, when the last day Christ is coming, people are crying out for the mountains to fall on them and crush the life out of them, lest they see the wrath of the Lamb of God. Horrible, horrifying. And yet, what are we confessing tonight? And now that we know that God is God and we're puny creatures, that we live in dread all the days of our life because we never want to meet the face of the living God? <laughs> no. What do we confess tonight? It's, it's amazing, isn't it? We're confessing that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created everything and still upholds and rules, it is my God and my Father for the sake of Christ his Son. Isn't that glorious? I know nothing about how the foundation of the earth was laid. I'm not God. But this I know that this God is my Father. And He loves me. Say, how can that be? Well, number one, because God's not a mean tyrant. Sometimes if you're trying to get to know someone, you just look over and see how they treat other people, right? Maybe you look at some man and look at how he treats his kids. You get a glimpse of what he's like. Well, this almighty God, he has a son. Right? We're confessing that God the Father did not become a father when he created us or adopted us. But that... This Father who created all things is an eternal Father. He's always had a Son. He's always loved that Son. He's loved that Son perfectly. And He was delighted to testify of His love over that Son during His earthly ministry on earth, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that, that this Almighty God with all this power is not a cruel tyrant. But that still doesn't answer the question about us, does it? I mean, many people have tried to find comfort in the idea that there's this universal fatherhood of God, right? We're all, we're all children of God. It doesn't matter that we live in sin, that we rebel against him. We're all his children. Well, that's not how the Bible says it. We are the offspring of God, all humans. That's true in one sense. But that doesn't guarantee you peace with God or a happy day on Judgment Day. The reason we rejoice is because that 
beloved Son of God, was sent into this very world that God made, to this very planet Earth, which we know it's not the center of the solar system, but it is the center of the universe. It is the habitat God designed for humanity. It is the place where God has willed that his kingdom should come. The earth is the center of the universe. And though many people in denying God, the creator, can go off and look for life on other planets and all these kinds of things, it's all so much escapism from the reality that here's where the struggle is for the kingdom of God on this planet. And to this planet, God sent his beloved son. And if anyone could stand before God and declare, I am righteous, it was this one who kept all of God's commandments, this beloved Son of God come in human nature, born under the law, keeping every word of God. And if anyone bearing misery and sorrows could say, I don't deserve this, it would surely be this one, our Lord Jesus. But to the cross he went, a curse laid upon him. Crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But never doing what Job did. To murmur against God. Or accuse God of injustice. The wrath of the Almighty God struck Jesus Christ. And he bore it for us puny creatures. There was silence at the cross, silence at Calvary. Jesus cried out to him, my God, my God, there was no answer from heaven. But Jesus fulfilled his task, bore the whole curse of God against us, and through that, He moved us from rebels to sons and daughters of God. That the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who created all of this, is my God and my father for the sake of Christ his son. Now, that language, you know, comes right out of the mouth of Jesus. Remember when Mary meets the resurrected Jesus and he says, don't cling to me. Go tell my brothers, right? Go tell my brothers I'm ascending to my father. And to your Father, to my God, and to your God. Amazing now. Extraordinary statement. The disciples had let, had let Jesus down. Peter had denied Jesus. These, these ones had sinned. They had sinned. They had failed him. And yet Christ had so accomplished his work on the cross so as to do all necessary to make this a reality that my God is your God and my Father is your Father. Glorious thing. Not just creatures upon the earth. And not sinners under the wrath of God as we deserve. But exalted to be called the sons of God. That the almighty creator of heaven and earth is my father. And when you know God through Christ, it brings a deep humility and a deep repentance and Job repents 
more deeply at the beginning of chapter 42. And he says, I know that you can do everything and no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. And you asked, God, you asked me, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? And I confess, I uttered what I did not understand and things too wonderful for me. Listen, please, and let me speak. Verse 5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I had heard of you, but now I've seen you. I, I knew about God, but now I have met God. And for all those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the reality. It's not debates anymore about evolution and creation, about whether it's a God or not a God. God doesn't even enter into those disputes. God doesn't even seek to prove himself. God just announces, how could he not? I created all this. It's my world. And as we meet the Lord Jesus Christ, we fall on our faces then because he reveals the Father to us. And what else can we do but to confess that we need such a Savior? We need to be brought to such a Father. And as we come to know God through Jesus Christ, we come to learn more and more the wonder of the riches that we've been adopted as God's beloved children. That we've been brought into the family. And what extraordinary words Jesus prays that in John 17, you know, we read some of that John 17 this morning where Christ prayed that the Father would protect his disciples in the world But you remember that Jesus goes on there to pray in John 17 some amazing things. That we might behold the glory. That we might see where Jesus is. But also that we might be partakers of love. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Christ prays in that prayer that his people may now have a share of the Father's love for his beloved Son. That that God may embrace his disciples as his own children and bring them, as it were, into that circle of familial love there with the Father and his Son. That we might be able to say, I belong to him and the one who owns this world is my Father. Some years ago, we were at a classes meeting in Iowa, and we drove, since we had some time, a few of us ministers, maybe some elders, I think, drove through this enormous, enormous manufacturing facility for machinery. Some of you farmers might figure it out here, but they made farm machinery, they made industrial, excavating machinery, they made Tons of stuff and machines, $100,000 machines were parked one after another down the rows there. And we, we drove around and around this enormous place and these millions upon millions of dollars of machinery. And one of the ministers we were with, his last name was the same name as this company. And he began to joke, yeah, my family owns all this. This is all ours. But you know, something far greater is true for the child of God, right? As we look around this world, you see the beauty of of the mountains, as we behold the expanse and wonders of the ocean, as we look to the heavens and 
see just a fraction of the enormity of what God has made, we can say, my father owns all this. I'm his child. But he loves me dearly. We've been exalted to fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we never tire of saying that a nine-year-old who learns about this world, knowing it's God's world, knows more than a university professor who spent a lifetime in staring out telescope and reading the books and doing the experiments. A nine-year-old child that can say, this is made by my father, knows more than the atheist scientist about the reality of this world. Only the child of God can see it. Vast amounts of humanity are living in this theater of God's glory, and they are blind. And we get to come here and confess week after week, this is my Father's world. But if we're humbled before his majesty and exalted through his beloved, thirdly, we are secure then, in his everlasting arms. Only the child of God can know there's a purpose in every day, that our Father never leaves us, that he has good plans for us. Christ says, look at an earthly father. Do they love their children? Do they care for their children? Do they give good gifts to their children? Do you imagine that the eternal Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is less of a father than you are? He loves his children, cares for them, nurtures them, we're just pilgrims passing through, we say, right, as we live upon this earth. But pilgrims though we may be, we, we get the full run of the house, don't we? Whatever blessings God sends us, right, whatever fruits of our labors, we may enjoy them as tokens of God's love and care. These have come from my Father. And we may know that God has good plans for us. And he will take care of us. And so we confess, I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul. And will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this vale of tears. He's able to do this because he's almighty God. And he desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Our Father wants us to rest in him. God was not out to crush Job. No. God was speaking to Job sternly, but he was speaking to Job in love. Job didn't know all that was going on. He didn't know all about his father's purposes. He didn't know that God was magnifying his name in Job. But Job got a taste of the goodness of God, the Father who loves him. As God brought him to repentance, as God drew him back to himself, and at the close of the book, as God gave him back children and riches and so many reminders that Job's life is in the hands of a faithful father. Brothers and sisters, now that Christ has come and everything's revealed more clearly, now that the beloved himself has come down from heaven to this planet, has restored us to God, It's given to us that fellowship of being adopted children and heirs with him. God wants us to rest in him. He wants us to say from our heart, not just I believe there's a creator. Not just I know there's a God who rules all this. Not just I know that he's almighty and I can't deal with him. He's greater than me. 
But he wants each one of us tonight to say, I trust him so much that I have no doubt that he will provide whatever I need. Whatever adversity he sends me, even if he would do to me what he did to Job, I have confidence that he will turn it to my good. Because I've met him in Jesus Christ, both as almighty God the creator and as a faithful and loving father. May God give us the grace by his spirit to confess from our hearts, I believe, I trust, I'm glad to say it. God, the father almighty, the father of the Lord Christ, his eternal son, is my God and father, and he will care for me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we lift up our hearts to you. How great you are, so much greater than we know. And we acknowledge, O Lord, that when we pull you down to our level and try to domesticate you, we lose the comfort that we would have in knowing you as almighty God. And we confess, Heavenly Father, that when we go our own way and do not repent of our sin, we lose the comfort of knowing you as our gracious Father. We thank you for your son you've sent to rescue us, to draw us, to teach us who you are, to bring us into your fellowship. And we pray, Lord, that you would give to us faith and this wonderful confession that we as your children upon this earth may rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.